And as we come to chapter 18, we come to one of the most absolute, clear, profound prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And as Moses is speaking to the nation, preparing the next generation to go into the promised land, as he's wrapping things up, he he says this, really at the end of his life, he's going to step into eternity in a matter of days, really from the context of this message he's giving here in Deuteronomy. And he's addressing that next generation of Israelites that will go into the promised land. And he says this in verse 15, in the midst of saying that they're not like the people that are being cast out, but they are a people of covenant, which of course they are. The Jews had that Mosaic covenant relationship with God. And he says this in verse 15 of chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me, from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Oreb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing that does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. So in the overall context here, there's this broad context for Israel in their covenant. They would have many prophets, right? I mean, the prophetic books of the Old Testament would come after this time. So Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, all of them, they all came after this. And then there's the prophets that weren't even in their own books, like Elijah and Elisha. And there's numerous other prophets mentioned in the Old Testament historical writings of 1 and 2 Kings and Chronicles and Samuel and whatnot. There are many prophets, and they would need to be able to test the prophets. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told to test all things, hold fast that which is good. So the only way you can test things is by the word of God. And for them, they would test by the law of God, which they're receiving here through Moses, by the Holy Spirit, through Moses. So if someone speaks against the law of God, then they know that's not the Lord. God doesn't contradict himself. There's no shadow of turning with the Father of lights. But also these future prophets, if they spoke something and it didn't come to pass, then you knew they weren't a prophet. And so often with false prophets, they speak things to manipulate or control people and cause fear. And so even so that little parenthetical thought, you will not fear them because it didn't come to pass. So you know that they haven't spoken on behalf of the Lord. Now, with that background, there's a bit more insight in that in this context of a true, true prophets and false prophets, Moses says there'll be a prophet like me who will come from your midst and will be one of your brethren. And then he gives the context when God spoke to him and the people didn't want to hear the voice of the Lord. They were so terrified there at Oreb that Moses, the people said, we don't want to hear God. You're the mediator. And of course, we know that Moses is a mediator. He was the mediator between the nation of Israel and God. So Moses went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. The people were down here. Don't touch the mountain. That kind of stuff. We know for the church, our mediator, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is the mediator that First Timothy talks about. There's no other mediator between humanity and divinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the mediator. Moses was a mediator of the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus is God, the Son of God, the mediator of the new and everlasting covenant. 
And that's why we come through him. For he said, no, I'm because of the Father, but through me. He's the mediator, and we understand that as the church. But in this context, where this is spoken, they historically had the situation where we're just holy God, sinful men. We're just, you, you go as our mediator. And there was great fear. And God said, that's a good thing that it's that way. So in the context, that's what happened. But in this context comes this prophecy concerning the prophet, not a prophet, the prophet. A prophet, capital P, and also called the prophet in the New Testament, is a prophet. This is a clear prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. And as Scripture interprets Scripture, we understand, looking at the New Testament, when John the Baptist came on the scene and was baptizing, it was the most radical thing for the nation of Israel in hundreds of years. From the time that Ezra and Nehemiah and all the captives came back from Babylon around 425 B.C. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the walls with Nehemiah and all that. They were there in their land of covenant for almost 400 years. Alexander the Great had come to power after the Medo-Persians, which were after the Babylonians, which were after the Syrians. And Israel had been oppressed by all these different global world powers. And Alexander the Great, when he passed away, his empire was divided into four segments— one of those segments being the Seleucid Empire, which ruled over modern Syria and Israel. And it was during that time that we have what we call the Apocrypha books, the Intertestament period, which is, includes the Maccabeans, the famous Maccabean revolt. And that was a pretty big deal when they, they revolted because a, a false uh, sacrifice was made in the temple and the people revolted and led a rebellion and they, they fought that. And then eventually Rome came to full power and occupied the land, which of course brings us to the time of Christ. So imagine for hundreds of years there really was no formal oracle of God to the people from the last book of the Old Testament. Hundreds of years, intertestament period. There was the Maccabean revolt, which was pretty awesome if you're Jewish, but there really had been silence. So John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's preaching and people are going to him. He doesn't have to go to them. They're, they're coming to him. God's doing this great work. He is fulfilling the ministry spoken by Isaiah the prophet around 730 B.C. that a messenger would come and would prepare the way of the Lord. So John the Baptist is there baptizing people a baptism of repentance that people are coming. It disrupts the religious hierarchy of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their organized religion, how they interpreted things as well, contrary to the context of the scriptures. And there he was... And they were upset because he didn't come from the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the scribes. And so the religious leaders went out to him there. And the New Testament tells us, they said, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? So the religious leaders questioning John the Baptist of his credentials and who he is, they asked him, are you this guy? They asked John the Baptist, are you this guy in Deuteronomy 18? Are you the one that Moses said would be a prophet like him? Are, that was their understanding. Are you that guy? Are you the Messiah? Now, they drew a distinction in their question of John the Baptist in John's Gospel, chapter 1. They drew a distinction between the prophet and the Messiah. But, of course, we know they're one and the same. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that fulfills everything from Passover and all the sacrifices. And behold, I've seen bear witness, this is the Son of God. That fulfills many other prophecies. So he puts those two together and says Jesus is God and he is the Lamb of God. 
And on that day when they questioned John, are you the prophet, this prophet? He says, I'm not. I'm the, the voice of one in the wilderness. That's who I am. But later on, when Jesus is risen from the grave and he's talking to his apostles in his resurrected body, he said that he had to fulfill the scriptures, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And he opened their mind to understand the scriptures and he walked them through it. That's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Then, after the church's birth on the day of Pentecost with Peter's preaching and everything happens there and the church's birth and there's thousands of believers in Jerusalem, early on, when they heal the man that couldn't walk, they're preaching. And Peter says concerning Jesus that he is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. So Peter in the New Testament tells us that this person being spoken of prophetically by Moses is none other than Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. That's in Acts chapter 3. Then in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, the martyr, who was one of the original seven servants in the local church, no one could refute the wisdom that he had. And as he is going through the entire Old Testament before he's about to be martyred for his faith, he says that Jesus is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. So the religious leaders suspected that John the Baptist was the prophet because they didn't see anything like that in 400 years, that kind of prophetic ministry. He goes, no, no, I'm not the prophet. I'm preparing, I'm the voice of the one preparing the way of the Lord. And then the apostles who taught what we call the apostles' doctrine, their understanding by the Holy Spirit to understand how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, they said that Jesus is the prophet. He's that prophet. So with scripture interpreting scripture, we understand tonight, gathered as a church of Jesus Christ, he being the head of the church and us being the body, that this text is speaking of Jesus Christ. He fulfills this passage. And now as we think about this for our lives and as the church in 2021, we see all kinds of storm clouds around us that uh, are very grievous for those that are born of the spirit and very concerning for those that are spirit filled. There are dark clouds, but we know that Jesus is on the throne, and there are things that would unsettle us, but as Paul the Apostle said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me. That's a good place to be, because then these things don't move you. We look at this text in light of who we are. We're the church. If you're not giving your life to the Lord, you're not the church, but you can be the church through faith in Jesus Christ and receiving him as Lord, which is where we're going to go with this passage throughout the night. A prophet is one who speaks for God. That's the understanding of a prophet. The oracles that, that speaks for God. Moses spoke for the Lord. There had never been anyone like him in human history that spoke for the Lord. He's attributed as being the author of the five books of Moses. The record of origin, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's the prophet. He's the prophet that wrote those things. And the scribes for hundreds of years, even to this day, maintained that. went from the oral tradition to the written tradition of which we have the received text of the Old Testament. It's been preserved. But as we understand from Colossians that all things were pointing toward Christ, everything was a shadow of substance of things to come, which is Jesus Christ. And as he said, he fulfills the law, the Psalms, the poetic books, and the prophetic books. So as great as Moses was the lawgiver, Jesus is much more of a prophet in that he's the absolute prophet speaking for God. Jesus is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but through me. So as a prophet, he's truth. Now, they would test prophets 
We can test prophets whether it comes to pass. For example, John Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Society, he lived during the early 1900s, and he prophesied the world would end in the 19-teens and into the 20s. Because of World War I, a lot of people thought the world was going to end. It did not end. He said it would end. Therefore, we know he's a false prophet, and we don't need to fear what he says or what the Watchtower does. Never mind, they have a, a different... They have a perverted Bible translation. They have a perverted Jesus and perverted gospel. The real issue is to just measure things and test all things. He said the world would end in 1917, and it didn't. So we know that's, that's, that's what I can say. He's a religious person who prophesied things that didn't come to pass. He would be a false prophet. It's an easy test to measure things by. Jesus, everything Jesus said came to pass. Everything Jesus said came to pass. Everything spoken of Jesus in the Old Testament has come to pass or will come to pass in full fruition with his second coming. So the idea of a prophet is that someone's speaking for God. Now, there's many religious organizations who claim to speak for God. There's many world religions, a God, gods. But what did Moses even say in the text? Hey, if they speak for any God or gods, that's not the Lord God. Well, God has to say to all humanity, now, they were the people of covenant. No other nation was set apart with God like Israel. Israel was entrusted with the scriptures. Israel was entrusted to bring from their genetic line through the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ, who would be born of a virgin and be a Jew of the house of Abraham, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. All those things came to pass. He will come from amongst you. He's a carpenter, Nazareth, a nothing city. He came from among them. What do we read about Jesus? The common people heard him gladly. He was one of them. He didn't walk around like the Pharisees or the high priest with political power looking down on people. He washed their feet. He served the people. He was from among the people, and the common people heard him gladly. He spoke the language of the common people. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter 6, the, the flatlands there, just so simple. The multitudes came to him. He spoke for God. He was Jewish. The genealogy of Jesus Christ is established in chapter 1 of Matthew and chapter 2 of Luke to make that very clear. So the idea that he would come from amongst the brethren, he'd be one of them, is all fulfilled in his genealogy. And it's the first credential Matthew uses in his gospel to prove to a Jewish person that Jesus is the Christ. you got to prove he's, he's Jewish. And that's why the first chapter of Matthew has the genealogy for Jesus that way. Now, it says here concerning this message that the prophet, a prophet will come. If you think about it, this is a prophetic word itself. This is a prophecy that a prophet's going to come, like Moses. This is also a teaching because it says whatever that prophet says, once you identify that prophet, you need to listen to everything he says. So when you know that prophet's there, you need to listen to everything he says because he speaks for the Father. It's also a warning that for those who don't listen to everything he says, they'll give a reckoning for it. So it's a prophetic word of a prophet coming. It's a teaching to hear what the prophet says, and that's also an exhortation, and it's a warning. So we can take this passage for the nation of Israel. We know they say, we'll not have this man rule over us, right? We have no king but Caesar. These are the things they said. But we know there in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is for the Jew first 
and then the nations, the Gentiles. Jesus is first the king of the Jews, and then he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He came in his first coming to fulfill those scriptures and to die and give his life a ransom, and he comes in his second coming to rule and reign over the universe because he's lord of the universe. Because this prophet, all things are made by him and for him, and him all things consist. Now, as the prophet... And what was said for, for Israel when the apostles went out with this message of the prophet, because they pointed people to Jesus, to the relationship with him, and to the, his teachings and the overall word of God. We know that. But what was true for Israel became true for the nations. Because the gospel is to be preached to every creature, Jesus said. It's to be preached to all nations. We are his witnesses in our local area, our regional area, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. The church. Contextually, what it meant for Israel in to them right here, and how it played out when Jesus came, fulfilling it, it goes beyond that to humanity. This passage is a prophetic word for every nation outside these walls. And there's hundreds of them. And they sometimes change their names, right? Remember Czechoslovakia? <laughs> how about Yugoslavia? Right? They change names. Different ethnic groups, different places. You have the Czech Republic, now Slovakia, all that stuff. It just That's how it works. The world is made of, of thousands of different ethnic group, people groups and tribes. And Jesus said to go to all nations and all people with the good news. And that's what the church has been doing since the apostolic age. And that's what we are still doing this day as a church, this night, in unity with the global body of Christ, to preach the gospel worldwide, to lead people to Christ. So whether it's a favorable country where it's fairly uh, non-threatening to give your life to Christ, like Australia and England or somewhere like that where you might get a hard time for it, but uh, they're not burning you at the stake yet, or a high-pressure area or a difficult area like Syria, China, where you can be obviously in a death camp, essentially. This is the world that we are in right now as a church, and we have this prophet who's over us tonight. That's who I serve. That's my boss. That's... That's the head of the church. We're all the body, but he's the head. We're not a community like a world's community. We're the body of Christ, and he's the head. He's the prophet. He changes us by the Spirit. He, the Spirit confirms to us he is the Christ, the Messiah. We give our life to him. We're born of the Spirit. We, he's working in us and through us to fulfill his calling in our life. And that working in and through us is to love God, love our neighbor, and to advance the gospel in words and actions and deeds. That's who the church is. If we lose Jesus our head, we're nothing. We're just another community with meaningless purpose, meandering in a dark black hole of the human experience. But that's not who we are with the church, and Christ is the head. He's the prophet, and he does speak, and we do listen, and we do care, and we do serve, and we're looking to fulfill. Now, with that context, we realize it says, him you shall hear. Him you shall hear. Well, that's fairly simple, right? Like, we're looking at this text in application for the body of Christ tonight. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, they hear me, and they follow me. Him you shall hear. Like, when you give your life to Christ and you, you're born again, as this, the Bible says that you you turn of your sins and you ask Christ to come in. Well, it says in the Gospel of John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So we don't have a relationship with Christ because our parents went to a state church 
like the Lutheran Church or Anglican Church or Russian Orthodox Church or Egyptian Coptic Church. We're not, we're not, or the Catholic Church. We're not saved that way. We have to have our personal faith, right? We understand that. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Not born of the flesh, not born of blood, not born of the will of man, but born of God by the Spirit. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll die in your sins. You must be born again. And you're not going back in your mother's womb. You must be born from above, born of the Spirit. Peter described that for us there in First Peter, saying that like, as newborn babes, we desire the pure milk of the word, having been born again. We have a new nature. We desire spiritual things. So if we receive Christ, as it says in John chapter 1, we're going to desire the word of God because that's the milk. And everyone knows with an infant, the infant will let you know when it wants to feed all the time. It's a natural desire to want food. It's one of the drives that God gives us. And infants want the milk. They want their they want the formula, whatever the case is, they, they want. It's a natural thing. And Peter the Apostle tells us with the Holy Spirit that when we've received Christ, we're going to want the word of God. So Jesus is the, the prophet. He's the one. It says, him you shall hear. So he's the source. And then the word is the word of God that he fulfills. And then the warning about being accountable for it. So him you shall hear. Let's think about this. All the voices going on out there. Him you shall hear. If your kids go away to college for four years, they'll hear many voices. They'll have different professors that influence them, campus groups, fellow students, blogs that they have to take part in. And there will be a marketplace of thought, but usually with cancel culture, as we call it now, where they'll, any thought is welcome except thoughts that hold people accountable to Jesus Christ. And you say, is that really so? Like, I've read that, I've heard that, is that really so? Let me tell you, all four of my children have been through extensive college education, and without exception, whether it was at OCC Junior College or at a Christian college at Grand Canyon University, my children were relentlessly bombarded with the cancel culture, PC culture agendas that are destroying and have been destroying our nation and will ultimately probably destroy our nation if things don't turn around. My son showed me his blogs with communist students. I'm like, you really have students that are communist? Yeah, look, right here. And they hated Luke because they wanted to cancel him because his source of worldview and his participation in class blogs was based upon Christ as the authority of truth. Him you shall hear. So he articulated Jesus Christ and a Christian worldview in that marketplace. And it was not allowed or shouted down but the sources of other worldviews, like Karl Marx's worldview, or Lenin and Stalin's worldviews that would go with that, they were not only allowed, they were espoused and furthered. In fact, when he went to Grand Canyon University, he had a very open communist teacher. I said, how do you go to a Christian college that you're paying for, and you have a professor that's openly communist? Can you walk me through? I was like, that's nothing. I got, God trained me for this at OCC. I'm good. So, you know, GCU might say, well, in the marketplace of thought, we want to expose our kids to all these different things, and maybe to be accredited, they have to expose them. You know, like, who knows how tenured and all that kind of stuff is. I don't know. I just know my son went to GCU, a Christian college, and had to sit through a communist, openly communist professor propagating communist agenda to Christian kids like our high schoolers who go away to college. That I know. That I know. So... 
there's a battle for the minds and there's a battle for the next generation. Of course, Lincoln said the next generation, whoever educates the public school system has the next generation. Abraham Lincoln said that. The Bolsheviks, the Soviet Union clearly understood this. One of the things that many of you know, my son Luke went to China for a mission trip. He learned Mandarin. He speaks Mandarin. He reads Mandarin. He understands it very well. He has a photographic memory. And when he learned Chinese, the Mandarin language, he engaged many, you know, the, how the this generation is. They would have these group blogs where you communicate and you learn the language. They're learning English. Or learning, they're learning English from you. You're learning Mandarin from them. And, and you're some marketplace of thought. And he, could, he just couldn't understand how none of the Chinese students he ever engaged with, and he engaged, he engaged with them locally as well, they didn't understand the concept of personal freedom and personal accountability. They didn't understand that parents are caused to raise children, not the state. They just could not wrap their minds around that. And he tried to help them understand the American way of how things went. They just wouldn't get it. See, he was bringing a competitive view, a source of truth. Him you shall hear. He was bringing Jesus into those conversations for the worldview that he holds to as a follower of Christ that he learned at Calvary Chapel High School, MCA, and these things. And he was bringing it to that forum, and this is what he was encountering. So for them to lock up Christians and Muslims in these death camps in China, which is now going to be a major protest to try and keep the Beijing Olympics happening in 2022, because that protest is already underway for civil rights violations and the oppression of people and worldviews. So I haven't had to battle in the marketplace of thought for a long time other than just when I worked regular jobs and took some heat for being a Christian. Shirts in hotel, surf shop, billabong, you know, you get this stuff. But this is what our children have been through. So as we're looking at 2021 and going forward to 2031, 2041, 2051, 2061, 2071, 2081, when I'd be 120, of course, I won't be here. Most of you won't be here either. This woke mob, this cancel culture is so prevalent, and this is nothing new. This is exactly what the Soviet Union does, because totalitarian authoritarian regimes, what they do is they silence any opposing thought. So this is why Christians have been so persecuted and shipped off to the gulags under Russian communism and the Bolsheviks and the Soviets and all that, and happening right now in China and these things, and these type of oppressive countries. There's no... There's many countries we support missionaries in that have less than 1% Christian influence or professing faith in Christ. And it's very challenging ministry. This is what you get. But it doesn't stop us from being who we are because those worldviews of false religions and false human philosophies, they are damned and they'll send you to hell. There's only one source of truth that will save a woman, save a man in each and every generation, and him you will hear. So tonight we need to be reminded that it's Jesus Christ who is the source of, source of all truth on all matters of the human experience. And he is the fulfillment of the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Therefore, everything written in the law and the Psalms of the prophets are in place with the church and the apostolic doctrine of the New Testament writings, including the book of Acts, all the gospels, the pastoral epistles, the book of Revelation, it's all there as one full canon body of scripture to thoroughly equip us for every good work of what is truth and right and true. We know the truth when we read the truth because Jesus is truth. He is the source of all truth. He is the truth. So we have to help our generation, our children, our children's children understand that him 
we will hear. They need to know, we all need to know from here to the grave, from the womb to the tomb, that Jesus is always, has always been, will always be the final authority of truth in all matters of life, origin, gender, marriage, purpose, salvation, all of it. Him you will hear. Him we will hear. And it's one thing if the church doesn't want, excuse me, if the world doesn't want to listen to Jesus Christ as a source of truth, like being shouted down. I, Luke showed me these emails from this communist Chinese student he had at OCC. They were so hostile toward him, so aggressive. And I go, Luke, how do you even go to school with people like this? He goes, no, he's just eating a sandwich. It's no big deal. You know, like, just no big deal for Luke. Like, I would just get so worked up. It doesn't change who he is today and his faith and whom he's listening to to guide his marriage, guide his children, and even how he raises his dog. Him you will hear. Whether we were occupied the Netherlands during Hitler's occupation, like Cory Tim Boom, we have to decide, are we going to listen to the Nazis and the mayor who's in bed with the Nazis, or are we going to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the value of all humanity, and hide the Jews and get into refuge? Or the Underground Railroad in pre-Civil War time? We have to decide, are we with Harriet Tubman, or are we with these people who twist the scriptures to their own demise? We have to decide who we're with. Him ye shall hear. See, even like Frederick Douglass and, and these other great Americans, black and white, like they were, they were led by the scriptures. They were moved by the scriptures. They weren't, they, they, they weren't moved from the scriptures. They were moved by the scriptures. And the scriptures to come from us through Jesus Christ and they reflect us Jesus Christ. Him we will hear. So how I treat illegal immigrants or homeless people is based upon Jesus is my source of how I see homeless people, how I see multi-ethnic people, how I see people struggling with gender identity or the new term that you would have. I still see people in need of a savior and it's Jesus who declares it to us. He is who we listen to. So we're reminded tonight as the body of Christ, we do not move from Jesus Christ as our source of truth ever, ever under any circumstances, because without the head, we're a headless chicken. We're just a body running around without direction, with perspiration, but no inspiration. Him, we will hear. So make sure when you're praying for your personal life, it's him you hear. My sheep hear my voice, they obey me, and they follow me. Make sure it's him you hear over your marriage for what's right and wrong in your marriage and things to work through in your marriage. Make sure it's him that you will hear how you raise your children, make decisions about your children, and what you, how you direct them in the Lord. Make sure it's him that's guiding you, not the neighbor, not public education, not presidents and dictators and czars. It's him we will hear, and God will always honor that. I'm grateful I didn't grow up in Russia in the teens, the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, and the 50s, or the 60s and the 70s. And I'm grateful I'm not growing up in China right now as a teenager. I'm grateful for my timeline and our timeline that God's given us, and you younger people be grateful for yours because there's a work for you in your timeline. And what was true when I was born in 1961 will be true the day I step into eternity. Him, you will hear. He is the source of our truth, and our decision-making. And the reason I bring up these other countries, I can tell you this, I would have never, ever let Stalin or Lenin, of course, Lenin died of cancer early on in the 20s, but Stalin particularly, I would, ne- 
I would never let them break my will and faith in Jesus Christ under any circumstance, nor would I let the Nazis or anyone else, Pol Pot, anyone. I would have, if I was black and a slave in the 1600s, 1800s, I would have never let them break my will. They would have never broken my will and my convictions with Jesus Christ, ever. I would have laid down my life for my convictions. You have to decide what hill you're going to die on, all of us. We had one person almost step into eternity in this last week we know very well, and another person we heard of who did step into eternity. And we have to decide what hill we're going to die on. The hill of him you hear, that Jesus is your source of truth, that is the hill to plant your flag and die on. And I'm willing to let anything come my way standing on that hill as you should be too. Because if him you don't hear, it's Stalin you hear, or false religions and false philosophies, it's damned. Those worldviews are damned. They're, they're, they're not Jesus. And they're condemned by Jesus. Him we shall hear. Then it says that I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And that's why we have to hear Jesus. He speaks for the Father in all things. No one has seen the Father any time, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son, he has declared him to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word there in John 1, 1, for word is Greek logos, which is thought intelligently expressed. So when the Holy Spirit tells us that Jesus is the Word, the Holy Spirit is telling us that all that you can cognitively understand in the human experience is of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ came into the world, in the beginning was the, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, you know, and then it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus Christ. The law we received through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So this is the black and white version, and then grace and truth in Jesus Christ is the fullness. And everything Jesus said reflects the Father. Everything Jesus did reflects the Father, and who Jesus is reflects the Father. Because they said to Jesus, show us the Father, and he goes, I've already shown you the Father. He that's seen me has seen the Father. He also said concerning substance of, of nature, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And the Jews knew what he meant because they picked up stones to stone him because he claimed to be God. Jesus didn't hang on the cross for being a, for capital punishment for a capital crime. He hung on the cross for saying he was God. We understand the Father's nature as we see Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin. We understand the Father's heart toward humanity as we watch Jesus Christ with humanity. And we understand the truths of the Father for the created being from the Creator for us. Creating His image for His glory, for His purpose, to know Him and have fellowship with Him, restored through His Son. We understand the Father's love for lost humanity, that while we are yet enemies, Christ came and died for us to reconcile us. Him is our source. I will put my words in his mouth to speak. So when Jesus looks at his apostles on that last night, when he's about to be crucified, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that means no one. No world religions, no Islam, no Buddhism, no Confucianism, no animist beliefs of the African tribes, no political powers, no secular human philosophies that can save us. Jesus, him, you will hear because he speaks the words of the Father, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father 
but through me. In John chapter 3, it says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have the Father, and the wrath of God abides upon him. I will put my words in his mouth. And because Jesus fulfills all the scriptures, all the scriptures are connected to Jesus, and they guide us in all truths. And many of us have been and will be persecuted for his namesake and for righteousness' sake, which comes from his word. And we must be prepared to to stand for that, be willing to stand for that. You know I study a lot of history, and I just, I don't have to go back far to think what the choices people had to make. And I just think, like, who's going to collaborate with evil when it rises? You know, when you lived in a neighborhood in Holland and your neighbors collaborated with the Nazis? The girl you went to high school with? Your buddy from the football team? They became Nazi collaborators? And they became brutal, just like the occupiers? And they killed millions of their own people, put them on trains to death camps. It's good to study history and learn from history and be inspired by history. Corey Rudig, the deacon who used to be here years ago, the former Marine sniper, married a Russian woman, uh, is my son's boss with Hyundai. He gave me a book years ago. It's called Things We Couldn't Say. It's about the Dutch underground during Nazi occupation. Not the Corey Tim Boom story, but just Christians. When they had the food cards to get food, and all the betrayal and how they lived out their faith under that. I read books like that because I learn a lot from them. There's a lot to learn. Because we just don't know where it's all going. But wherever it's going in our timeline or after our timeline, he is our source. Him you will hear, and his words are the words of life. So as Peter and John stood before this Sanhedrin council and said, and they said, don't ever mention this man's name again. They said, you decide what you think's right with God. That could be your professor. That could be your mayor. That could be your president. That could be your parliament. That could be the, the bully who's running your city. You can't gather. You can't preach. You can't speak. You can't do any of these things. And we have to decide, are we going to be like Peter and John and say, you decide what you think is right, but we can't help but speak what God has put on our heart. For there is no other name given among heaven and men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. So not only does that offend totalitarian kingdoms that are opposed to any religious view, it also offends opposing religious views as well. So we get it from both sides. We get it from world religious systems that are false and damned coming against us. Don't let anyone reduce Jesus to a prophet. He's the prophet. He's the son of God the Lamb of God, or a religious leader. Him we will hear, and he speaks all the words of the Father. I'll put my words in him. And the person of Christ and what he says and the totality of Scripture is by which we will stand on the day of Christ Jesus when we step into eternity. That's what we're going to stand on. What did we do with Jesus, and what did we do with his words and the Scriptures? That's, that's where we're all headed. We are all headed to a date in eternity where we're going to stand before the Lord and it'll be, are we in the Lamb's book of life or are we in the books that are open because we rejected him like Lenin when he stepped into eternity? Are we like testimony of redemption? 
George Mueller, the great Christian leader in the late 1800s in England, who fed all the you know, orphans, thousands of them every day by faith, never asked for money, sent money all over the world to missionaries. His tomb is in Bristol. His tomb's in Bristol. We stayed at a bed and breakfast with Andy and Rosie there in England when we went there in 2010 with Mr. Foster and Luke and Tim. And one night I was speaking with Andy, he says, well, you know, I got on, I said, well, what about George Mueller? He's like, let me tell you something about George Mueller. Can I tell you something? And no one knows except my wife. And I said, yes, tell me. He goes, I found his tombstone in the cemetery in Bristol. And with Rosie as my witness, I go up every few months and I clean it up and I put flowers there. I go, no kidding. You found George Mueller's tombstone. And you could, I'll go, his is completely overgrown. You would never know it was his. But I followed, I did the research, the directory, and I found it. Wow. Now, I've been to the empty tomb in Jerusalem. Just a quick question, because some of you have been to Israel. How many of you have been to Israel and been to the empty tomb? One, two, Kathy, you're there, okay. Chris, Amber, Alex, Scott, you haven't been to the empty tomb in Jerusalem? Okay, there you go. All right, just making sure. So about a half dozen of us. Can we agree the tomb's empty? <laughs> yeah, okay. And then, of course, I told you I went to Russia a year and a half ago. Scott, did you go to Red Square when you went to Russia? Do you see Lenin's tomb? Okay, we have two witnesses on Lenin's tomb. Where's Lenin? He's in the tomb. Yeah. So here we have George Mueller's legacy, a Christian three generations later keeping it nice. Lenin's is guarded by Russian troops right there at Red Square. You know, you've seen them like this, you know. And then the tomb in Jerusalem is empty, whether it's Jesus or not, it's an empty tomb. We have to decide. We have to decide. Most of you have decided. And you're living your decisions. But we need a purpose in our heart, like Paul said, that nothing persuades me and nothing moves me, nor do I count my life dear to me. That's, that's how we have to, we just have to live. We're always called to live like that, but we, we've, we've come from a time of being soft and we need to have fiber and character. So as we look at our life and we look at our future, whether you're 60 or 70 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, we got the greatest generation stepping into eternity like my dad. There's still some around. They're almost there. Then there's the baby boomers, 1965, going backwards. Hello, 1961. Then the Gen Xers. What's up, Gen X? Your kids are all growing up now. Like, they're adults too. Like, whoa, wow, didn't see that coming. And then we have the millennials with their kids, their little kids, and they'll grow up and be like, didn't see that coming. And we're all just moving through, just like those previous generations of tombs in Bristol, tombs guarded by Russian soldiers, and tombs that are empty in Jerusalem. And when we all are said, when it's all said and done, we step into eternity, all the heartache that life brings us, and many of us have had heartache, and there's more heartache coming because you can't live and not have heartache. There can just be, it's so simple. Him you will hear, He is our source. He is our everything. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And he will speak my words. And his word is the authority over us. The source is Jesus. And the words are living and powerful, sharpening to his sword. And that is how we're governed. And any government that wants to rule over me, it's going to be subject to that government. That's my hill. As a pastor. As a disciple. And I think it's ours. And we don't even move from that because we're going to stand before the Lord. And there's that bonus thought where he says, whoever does not hear my words which the, the words of the Father, which I speak in my name, the Father's name, are required of them. 
Do you want to stand before the Lord and have messed up the opportunities of serving Jesus? Yes or no? No, you don't want to stand before the Lord having wasted your life. You want to fulfill everything he has for us. You're reminded of that tonight because he's the prophet. We want to fulfill his call in our life. He's the author and finisher of faith. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. That is where we're looking. And we have a whole crowd of witnesses cheering us on. We're like Abraham looking for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. That's what we're doing. And our standard of right and wrong is the word. And nothing's going to move us from that. The word always gets attacked. It always gets discredited. That's what the devil does. It gets mocked. It goes from being persecuted to mocked and then made irrelevant to a next generation that has been taught to uh, scoff it and despise it like the one we're seeing arise in our country right now. But it's still living and it's still powerful and he's still the king of kings. He's still coming. Be watching, be ready and the word is still going to always be living whether we're here alive to see what it's doing in the timeline or once we move on from our timeline. So we're reminded in this text tonight that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's over the entire universe. And when we step in eternity, the, books will be, the book will be open for the Lamb's Book of Life, and we'll give an account. And what we did, what we did with Jesus, what we did with his word, what we did with his calling, will be tested by fire. And it'll be wood, hay, and stubble, or precious jewels. And the precious jewels are the acts of faith and obedience that your life becomes. So store up treasure in heaven by making good decisions, doing the right thing, glorifying Christ, forgiving, walking in purity, and persevering through tribulations and heartache. That's the treasure. The other people, they said, been turning, the books are open. They're open and they give an account. They give an account for every word, Jesus says. They give an account for every idle thought and the intent of their hearts that they didn't even speak. And then they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and then they're cast out into outer darkness. Those are the two futures for every soul on this planet, eight billion of us tonight. Stand in the Lamb's Book of Life, justified under the blood of the Lamb, Singing with the praises with the, the saints of past and saints to come in another dimension. There's no more tears or sorrow, joy unspeakable, or people held accountable for rejecting the word. And that's why we have empathy on people, even when they attack us who reject the word, because they're just, the books are open and they see everything they did wrong. They're held accountable. They confess that he's Lord. Yeah, the last thing they do before they go in outer darkness is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's a just judgment. And then they go. But that's not our destiny. Our destiny is in glory with the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. So you are reminded tonight that it is Jesus that we hear. It is words that he speaks truth. And it is he who guides our every step. So don't let the other noise distract you, move you, cause you fear. But just continue to stay on point. Fill your mind with the scriptures. Build your faith up. Faith cometh by hearing and by the word of God. And just stay the course, rejoice in the Lord, love people, have peace, take it one day at a time, and be faithful and fruitful till till the trumpet sounds.